0: Welcome to the Truth CSGO podcast episode 21. I am currently three weeks into my month long sabbatical from video games. And on that theme, I've brought in James Driver, who's a psychotherapist who specializes in video game addiction. Are we rushing in or are we going sneaky beaky like? So usually in these interview episodes, I put a bit of news first, but I think I'm going to just start with the interview and then put a bit of the CS news that's been happening in the last week or two behind it. So as, as I said, I'm on the third week of my month of no video games. And while I wouldn't say it's been easy, it also hasn't been that hard. I uh, found myself connecting with friends more. And when I do connect with them, I sort of connect with them in a better, more engaged way. Uh, I'm listening better, I'm retaining more information, I've read more books, I've watched more movies, I've discovered new music, and I took this time off to really try and reset. I was playing CSGO every night, it wasn't sustainable. Things I wanted to do weren't getting done, chores, personal projects, I found I was less motivated overall and pretty much less engaged with life. I've actually been a heavy smoker in the past, I'm not anymore, uh, and the only way I discovered of quitting is going cold turkey absolutely just completely stopping if i tried to limit myself to like one cigarette a day then i would spend the whole day thinking about that cigarette so i didn't just want to cut down on my cs i didn't want to just go yeah i'll just do a couple of hours on the weekend i wanted to see if i could survive going completely cold turkey and sort of just get a reminder of what life (laughs) could be like um you know without the Iron Curtain. Uh, The thing is, though, I'm fumbling my way through here, right? I'm trying to pull myself into adulthood at the age of 33, so I'm very aware that just describing what I'm going through may very well be the blind leading the blind. And I'm not saying you're the blind, but it's possible that you have some problems playing video games like me, or perhaps, you know, you're just not as happy with the amount you're playing. So with that in mind, I reached out to James Driver,
1: I'm a psychotherapist practicing in Christchurch, New Zealand. I've got a particular interest in working with, uh, I suppose you call it, psychological issues arising from technology use. Um, And that kind of stemmed from the fact that back in 2001, 2002, I ended up with what in hindsight I consider to be a, a gaming addiction to EverQuest. Uh, and then, sort of, probably ten, ten plus years later, when I started doing my training as a therapist, and I was on placement at a drug and alcohol rehab centre, it became very apparent to me, listening to people talking about their drug and alcohol addictions, that a lot of what they they had experienced, you know, was extremely similar to how I'd felt during, you know, those periods of extremely heavy gaming with EverQuest, the kind of the lack of control around it, and so on. And that made me interested in researching gaming from kind of the perspective uh, you know, of an addiction for those people where it becomes a problem. Uh, I did my master's research into that, and it's just kind of been a, one of many interest areas for me ever since.
0: I'm old enough to remember when EverQuest was around and popular sure. and called Evercrack. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, my, my flatmate and I, we were actually um, we were living together at the time, we saw the game in the store and we joked about that before we bought it, we were like, haha, people call this Evercrack, you know, that's ridiculous, let's, let's play this, it'll be fun. Um, and, and then I think we both
0: regretted it fairly seriously a few years down the line. How did you manage to wean yourself off Evercrack at that point?
1: Uh, It was a a kind of a slow process. Um, Unfortunately for me, it kind of caused a lot of problems. I failed out of uni twice as a result um, and ended up in the, you know, kind of getting to a point where I was just miserable in life, Uh, you know, didn't have the the degree, didn't have a good job, didn't have a relationship um, and kind of reached a point where it felt necessary to make some changes and Trying to you know reduce the gaming was part of that.
0: Have you ever actually done crack?
1: I haven't done crack, so I can't <laughs> compare the two. I, I hear mostly good things.
0: Have you played a video game since EverQuest?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I you know I still play games um, from time to time, but. I've become a lot more aware of the difference between playing for fun and playing when it starts to become a, a compulsion or an addictive process. What, what
0: is the difference between being addicted and just enjoying it something regularly? Like, where's that line drawn for you?
1: I think it really comes down to the impact of the the gaming and the. Um, the function of the gaming. So I don't think it's got much to do with how much you game or anything like that. It's you know what impacts is it having. So if it's once it starts to have you know clear negative impacts on jobs, relationships, schooling, whatever, that's one part of it. And the other part is the function. So are you gaming just to you know have fun, to hang out with friends, for excitement? once you start gaming in order to kind of deal with stress or to deal with loneliness or to kind of meet psychological needs that you're not meeting elsewhere, I think that's where you start to see problems and you start to see that difference. It's no longer just gaming for fun or gaming as a hobby. It's gaming in order to, you know, deal with emotional situations or, or whatever else it is.
0: That, that sounds like a functional good that could come out of it. If I'm feeling lonely or I'm feeling stressed and I'm using gaming to help me deal with that, that sounds kind of positive. What's the difference between that being a positive and a negative? Um, I think once it starts to become the only way
1: that you're meeting a particular need, it can start to become a negative. Doesn't mean it necessarily is. I mean, if, if you're meeting all your social needs through gaming and you're totally satisfied with that, I, I don't see that as a problem. But I think what a lot of gamers, and you know, I experienced this myself, is that if that's the only type of socialization you've got, it can start to feel hollow. You know, you can start to want something more than that, something to face as well um, so I think it becomes a problem again you know when you start to experience it as a you know having negative consequences and when it starts to become the only way that you're kind of getting a certain experience.
0: Well it's interesting because I, I, I've recently as I think I might have told you in my email I've, I've had to quit gaming for a month just to take a real step back from it because I felt like it was starting to impair I'm starting to use it as a substitute, really, to deal with some emotional stuff. Is that? Do you think that that that's the main reason why people get addicted to games that they've got these emotions they're not dealing with? I, I think it's one of the
1: main reasons. Um, I, I, I certainly, looked at broadly, like if you look at all the different kind of psychological reasons that people game, you know, to experience a kind of a sense of potency or achievement, or to um, you know connect with other people. I definitely think once it starts being used kind of as a crutch or as the only way to get those things that you, you're not getting elsewhere, um, or, or an easier way to get those things that you're not getting elsewhere, I, I definitely think you, that's where it can start to shift into problem territory, yeah.
0: How, and how do I know? Like, if, if I'm, let's say, I don't know, like, I, obviously there was a line where my upbringing and the people around me hit a threshold where I was like you know what this is probably not as healthy as I have been in the past and probably not as healthy as I could be right now but I'm 33 I've experienced uh you know parts of my life where I've had a really rich social life where I haven't gamed at all where I've been really connected to people around me but I can imagine for some of my listeners perhaps who are 16 17 even as young as maybe 13 or 14 to them it's like well this is the norm so Mm -hmm how would you identify where it might be too much gaming for them or they might be too reliant on it for them? Sure. Um, I think that's a, you know, you raise a good point.
1: It's tricky to know if something's right for you if you haven't had other experiences. Um, but, I mean, ultimately, I think, you know, a person can only really answer that question for themselves. But what I would encourage people to do is, you know, to try and really... Um, I guess uh, look at that question as honestly as they can in terms of, you know, am I happy if this is the only kind of socialisation I have, you know, for the foreseeable future? How how do I feel about that idea? Is that actually meeting my needs fully or is there something missing in that? Um, I I think it really does have to come down to that kind of, uh, you know, introspection, self-reflection to try and
0: understand, you know, is this satisfying me? It's tough to do when you're young, isn't it? Because you don't really... There's no personal yardstick. It is tough, but I, I also think we
1: kind of have um, an innate sense of that because I think back, to, you know, when I was a teenager and, and it, you know heavily into the gaming, and I hadn't really had you know too many great social experiences before that. But even so, there was a sense, you know, after gaming for a couple of years, that that it wasn't quite doing it for me you know socially it it was great having a guild where i felt accepted and kind of connected and all of that but there was still a sense of you know i wanted more than that and talking with other young people who um you know have kind of looked at some of the stuff i think people often do have a sense of that for themselves that they, they want more than just what gaming can
0: provide why do you think say you got really hooked on everquest whereas someone else might have picked it up and played it for a month and put it down again I think it was a
1: combination of things. The social part was definitely a massive hook for me. It was, you know, a place where I felt like, uh, you know, I was accepted. I felt like a part of something. I felt, um, you know, like I could have a a, a leadership role in something. So that was all pretty enticing. Um, I think also, you know, it gave me a sense of uh, kind of working at something that Um, even though obviously it was just kind of the digital world, it gave me a sense of accomplishment, it gave me a sense of kind of purpose. You know, there's always something new to be working towards or to be improving at. So I think, you know, in some ways it's because the rest of my life wasn't very satisfying and the game world was. I think that's what made the difference. I think for somebody who's got a fairly
0: satisfying life outside of games, I don't think it tends to have that same risk. What I find difficult to... Imagine, I guess, is that for instance, in in the game I play, Counter Strike, there's a lot of things that are that are satisfying parts of my personality that are quite clearly defined. For instance, working in a team, mm-hmm. uh, like you said, having leadership experience within that team, strategizing, yeah. uh, you know, coordinating and and communicating, and you can do it on a kind of a regular basis, and you have clear outcomes and clear feedback, and it's very difficult to say, all right, this is my day, I'm going to work. Nine to five. How do I build that sort of feedback into my life? It seems mm, like mm. a huge, huge question. Oh, totally.
1: And I mean, I, I think the honest answer is you can't. I mean, not, not to the same degree. Games are designed, you know, to meet all those needs for you know for challenge and leadership and um, all of that. Uh, you know, that that you can achieve those things and experience those things in a a very easy way as part of what makes them incredibly satisfying. And if it doesn't develop into a problem, you know, part of what keeps them being fun. Uh, By contrast, obviously, real life, often you've got to put in, you know, a lot more work to get some kind of outcome. The outcomes are far less predictable. You know, you're constantly faced with uncertainty. Uh, I think you can bring some of those things into real life, but I think, you know, ultimately it it, it is... um, less predictable and less certain to get those positive outcomes. I suppose the only thing that makes real life a, a kind of a contender is that I think you know the the depth of experience we can have in real life uh, can be a lot greater you know when you can really achieve something that you've worked hard at in real life the sense of satisfaction can be a, a lot deeper but I think it's an absolute challenge it's, it's part of what I think does make gaming very appealing
0: I've, I've noticed recently that well, when I was playing anyway, For instance, I bought this book that I've been looking forward to buying for a long time. I had it on uh, pre-order on Amazon. I was very excited about the author. And then maybe one or two days after buying it, I'd read the first couple of chapters and I was loving it. And Mm -hmm. instead of coming home and reading it, I played Counter-Strike. And then after a couple of games, I was like, oh, it's probably time for bed. And I looked at this book and I thought, I have no motivation to read this. And it was like it had just completely sucked out all motivation from me, all desire. It was like life had become black and white just because this game had uh, satisfied all of those innate desires in me.
1: And I think this is something that is consistent across, you know, many of the things that become addictive is that they meet our psychological needs in a really consistent easy way. Like, you know, with, with with drugs, you get, a you know, depending on the drug, you know, a sense of euphoria or energy really consistently, really easily. With gambling, you get the excitement and thrill really consistently, really easily. Uh, real life, you know, you've you got to work at it a bit harder. And um, when you've just come off one of those, you know, kind of real um, experience highs, it, like you say, it, it, it can be... Um, but take a bit of adjusting to get back into the kind of a slower pace of
0: of getting satisfaction out of life i think i've never been an alcohol drinker i've never really enjoyed the taste of beer and weirdly in the last two and a half weeks since quitting i found myself drinking beer like almost every night Mm -hmm. (laughs) which i was like my body has just kind of sniffed out this other way to get some sort of dosage of a dopamine hit would it be yeah, I, I mean, yes,
1: that that's part of it. There's there's a whole lot of um, stuff that goes on in terms of the kind of the, the, the um, neuroscience behind it. But yes, I, I think our brains are, are wired to, um, you know, kind of get pleasure, and get satisfaction in, in the most easy, in the most straightforward way that we can. I mean, it, it makes sense. Um, and, you know, as long as we're kind of aware of that in ourselves and can um, kind of balance that with, the the need to you know kind of have long-term goals and things that we're working towards we're fine but i think yeah we can e- quite easily switch over into just seeking those very short-term rewards the short-term
0: satisfactions and so is, is, are they identical would you say these addictions like can you draw a one-to-one comparison between gambling say and a game like counter-strike or or is it far more complex
1: i i would say yeah it's, it's far more complex i think um, many of the underlying psychological processes are very similar across all addictions, but there's massive differences because of the, um, I suppose, the kind of the sociocultural factors as well. Um, so, you know, obviously with, with gambling or you know illicit drugs, there's a financial element that unless you play the kind of freemium games and stuff you don't typically find in gaming. And so, you know, with illicit drugs as well, obviously, you know, the paths to get them, the kind of social connections that you'd be involved with. So, you know, there's massive differences um, in terms of the way people think about these things in terms of the possible impacts that they can have, uh, in terms of how, you know, rapidly problems develop, all these kind of things. But, But there's some
0: similarities as
1: well. So short answer, it's a bit more subtle, I think.
0: Mm. Is there something that people are misunderstanding about the way video games addict us? I mean the people you see, the people you talk to, the parents, is there something everybody seems to be getting wrong?
1: I think there's a lot of misconceptions around addiction. Um, You'll get different answers depending on who you speak to. but. One of the things I see as a misconception is the idea that things are addictive. You know there's always that kind of question of you know are video games addictive? is, is sex you know, porn addictive? I think it's the wrong question. I think um you know people become addicted to, to things. it's it's in a psychological process, and some, Activities or substances are more likely to be the focus of an addiction because of um, properties that they have. But things that I don't in, in and of themselves are not inherently addictive, and, and the same is obviously true of games. You know, a vast majority of players do not develop problems, do not become addictive. So there's something that happens. Uh,
0: internally that can lead to that. It's kind of a combination of factors.
1: I don't know if that answers your
0: question. No, no, it, it totally does. I mean, that's fascinating. I read recently, I think it was the Huff Post that had an article about, well, you know, if, if you and I get put into hospital... I'm just going to cut myself off there because I went into a rather embarrassing tailspin of blathering about something I didn't actually know much about. And James picked up on it and knew exactly what I was talking about. Basically, I was trying to reference an article by Johan Hari which was in the Huff Post in 2015, it kind of went viral a few years ago. And this guy has done a bunch of research on addictions. And the thesis of his work is that all addictions are caused by a lack of human connections. And he cites a bunch of examples, such as uh, experiments that were done with rats in the 70s. And People found that rats who were isolated and given two types of water to drink, one of which was laced with heroin or cocaine, would eventually become so addicted to the heroin and cocaine-laced water that they died. But he, uh, all the scientists who were in charge of this experiment, found that if they put these rats in a sort of rat Wonderland and gave them all sorts of fun things to do and rat friends and um, you know holes to to clamber in, uh, that they they chose the clean water far more often than they chose the uh, heron or cocaine-laced water, and they didn't actually become addicted. Um, anyway, he's got a bunch of examples like that. Basically, it was quite a convincing argument. And uh, and I guess the main, the main example that he used was, if we go into hospital right now, if you or I, uh, you know, hit by a car and have something terrible happen to one of our limbs, more than likely we'll be put on morphine in hospital, which is the same same thing as heroin basically and yet, and yet most of us would not exit that hospital and immediately look to score some smack on the streets so it wasn't really the substances he saw as being addictive it was more a lack of human connection now james said to me that actually this is just another one of these headlines that the media put out there because it's clickbait basically and it's far more complex than that so thus chastened i changed the topic i found that a lot of my playing of counter-strike is actually unenjoyable you (laughs) die like there's a kill death ratio basically that you get uh you know given at the end of a match or whatever and it's always a 1.1 or something so you're always dying basically but it's just a little difference between dying and maybe killing someone or you know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. It's a bit like, um, it feels a bit like you are playing some sort of gambling game because you are always eventually losing no matter how often you win the actual game. But it just seems like you're losing a little bit less, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I
1: can relate to that. Maybe that experience is different if you're a really good player, but I, I was always in that, you
0: know, ballpark. I'm actually going to cut in again here because I'm not sure I made the actual point I was trying to make. Even if you are a good player, this is still the mechanic of CSGO. And in fact, I noticed this when I was playing a different game called Combat Arms. It's a free-to-play shooter uh, that's run by Nexon out of Korea. And... uh Combat Arms is a little faster than CSGO. There's a lot more death matching that goes on. But there's also the same sort of iterative gameplay where you die fairly constantly, but you're always just trying to die a little bit less. It's kind of like Counter-Strike just sped up about five times. And uh, what I think we're actually missing in this little dialogue here is the fact that even as you get better, even as you become a pro, you do expect to die most of the time. So to illustrate that point, let's just take a player at random. Um, let's say Rain, right, off one of the most successful teams right now phase. Over the last three months, he's had an average of 0.77 kills per round. And he's also had an average of 0.67 deaths per round. And I know that Counter-Strike is a little more complex than this, but just take this as a little example. It's If, if we imagine the deaths per round, or if you die in the round that could be classified as a failure and if you kill someone in the round that could be classified this is a basic indication of a success there's a very slim difference between the two and so when i look at it like that it feels a little closer to me like you know the kind of odds you get in a casino
1: and i think it's a really interesting thing you you name though that you know you can actually recognize that sometimes when you're playing it's not actually that enjoyable and that was part of the realization for me that that got me out of the gaming. And I think, you know, that really ties back into your earlier question about how can you tell when it starts to become a problem, is is I think if you tune into your own experience, really pay attention, you know, am I actually enjoying this? Or am I just kind of feeling compelled to do it? Am I feeling? Am I doing it because I can't think of anything else to do? I think that helps people actually to, to identify when it's starting to become an issue.
0: So it feels to me like you don't have a very particular set of rules for how you're dealing with clients. It's more like, hey, how do you feel about this? How do you actually feel about this? What do you actually want to do? be doing with your life?
1: Yeah, so it's, it's a little different if I'm actually working with somebody in a clinical setting is I would be trying to... Um, I guess, help guide them to ask the questions and look at their gaming in ways that they might not have thought about or that they might have kind of avoided asking themselves. I think the tricky part is actually being able to kind of get an objective look at our own behaviours. And I think that's where, you know, for all kinds of issues, a therapist can help. Um, But I mean, ultimately, it's, it's not up to me or anybody else to say if somebody's gaming, Is a problem unless it's directly impacting on them only the person themselves can can know that But I think yeah, if if we take an honest look at ourselves. uh, I think yes some percentage of gamers are going to Recognize actually, you know, there's an aspect of my gaming that I don't feel so good about
0: It's I find myself getting caught in a sort of emotional spin bot where I'm like I'm 33 I Am playing games night after night. I'm a loser, you know, like what am I doing with my life at the same time like, my life's actually kind of fine in many ways, and I enjoy the game, and so I I kind of prevaricate between these two points of view the whole time, you know, and everybody's always telling you, think positive, you know, think Uh good thoughts, Uh and so it's like, what am I supposed to do, you know, (laughs) am I listening to this voice that, I guess, comes from my upbringing, when my parents were very anti-games and didn't let us play, you know, like, it's hard to to know which voice to listen to in that circumstance.
1: Oh, completely, I mean, that makes a lot of sense, and I think you know, talking, for putting my therapist hat on for a moment, you know, what I'd be doing if I, you know, met somebody like you in therapy, would be trying to help them work out, you know, are you feeling bad about this because of, you know, some kind of critical voice inside you that's actually not helpful, that's actually just, like you say, from your upbringing trying to punish you for spending time on something you enjoy that's, you know, maybe not as productive, but that's a pleasurable activity, or... Are you feeling bad about this because some part of you is actually sensing that this isn't in your best interests that this is actually harming you in some way and you know that's that's really i think going to be the heart of that question
0: Oh, it's so hard to know whether it's my voice or it's just the asshole teacher I had in, like, Year (laughs) 5 or something. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, of course. That's, you know, what keeps us in work. Oh, goodness. So one of the things I've found as well that, you know, I've been doing to sort of cope with this month off games is actually watching other people play games. So watching the streams. Is that, am I just, like, kidding myself that that's sort of better than playing
1: I'm going to give you another therapist answer here. Yeah, yeah, keep <laughs> that, that hat on. Yeah, that that you know again, that's going to come down to, you know, how that's impacting you, what you're feeling about it, you know, what that is, um, you know, what function that's serving for you. I mean, another way, I I, I found myself doing the same thing when I cut back on the gaming a lot, and on reflection, you know, I, I felt found that there were times where, um, yeah, I was starting to watch games as a kind of a distraction from life, as a kind of a way to just de-stress. Uh, and there was times where I actually found, you know, that I, I didn't like that I was doing that. It wasn't helpful for me. Um, but I found that, you know, most of the time I would be watching games just because it was actually, you know, quite fun rather than just getting home and watching a TV series. You know, I'd enjoy watching, you know, League of Legends or whatever. Um, so, you know, that's really going to come down to the individual. I've had some people where that has become a problem. I've had, you know, client turn up late to sessions because, you know, the international was on and they, you know, finishing watching <laughs> the game. Um, so, you know, it, it, it can be, um, a problem as well, but I think, you know, that that's going to come down to an individual
0: basis. It's almost like I want you to be my dad here and just go, look. Two hours of, of watching video games, you know, and then bedtime, your teeth, and then bed. That
1: I mean that totally makes sense. And and you'll see this like if you look at, you know, the kind of the advice and stuff that's out there around managing gaming and things like this. And I think this kind of works when it's parents managing like a minor, you know, kid up to a point. But ultimately, you know, as adults we've we've got to find a way to manage our own gaming and that's more complex than just setting rules for ourselves. We we do have to, um, you know, ask those kind of more difficult questions about, you know, how's this impacting my life? am I happy with that? You know, how do I want to balance it and, and work that out for ourselves? But yeah, I hear what you say. It makes a lot of sense. I, I think it'd be lovely if we could just have some clear cut guidelines.
0: It was like, do this and you'll be sweet. What would you say to What would you say to someone who doesn't know how to face that anxiety? That that that. Comes when they take away those games.
1: I mean, I think I think there's a lot of different ways to address that, depending on your circumstances. I mean, obviously, you know that is something that therapists do is you know try and help people um, you know work with that stuff. So, I mean, if if you've got the option of of talking with a professional, that's you know, I think a great option. If you don't, um, I think looking at stuff like um, Mindfulness can be quite helpful, or I mean, you know, there's a lot of different kind of self-help approaches. But I think anything that's going to help you actually pay attention to yourself, notice what's going on. Like, okay, I'm feeling anxious, but but why am I feeling anxious? You know, it's my free time. Say so I'm home from work, and I'm, I'm getting anxious about that. Well, trying to understand what's actually driving that, what's going on, um, because you know that answer is going to be different for each person. Um, uh, you know, obviously. Talking about that with other people can be really, really helpful. Often people find that, you know, that brings up a lot of different stuff they might not have thought about for themselves. Um, simply trying things out, you know, actually just trying different activities to fill that and, it, and you're reflecting, you know, what, what is that like, how does that feel? Um, but, you know, this all kind of comes down to what person feels most comfortable attempting, what they've got access to. Um, but I mean, that that question makes sense. You know, if the gaming is fulfilling, you know, kind of a psychological need, it's, it's, if it's like a crutch, you take that away. Yeah, there's going to be more anxiety. It's going to feel uncomfortable. And, you know, it, it just does help to have a bit of a plan for what you're going to do with that.
0: What about when it comes to people who are pros or want to go pro? Like, where do they draw that line? I, I mean, I, I, you've talked about how this is all personal and stuff, but um, yep. have you ever dealt with any pros or people who have been trying to go pro and still can't quite deal with how reliant they feel upon the game? Um,
1: I, I've dealt with people who, you know, kind of aspired to go pro, but, you know, actually weren't, you know, realistically at that level. I haven't dealt with anybody who, you know, actually has a chance of making a career out of that. I mean, that, that's a tricky one because obviously, you know, if you realistically do have a chance of making a career out of it, that could be quite an appealing option. Um and if you don't, uh, you know, then it's – it's. Uh, I guess it's tricky because you've got to actually try and honestly assess for yourself, you know, is that a viable option or am I just kind of kidding myself that I'd ever reach a level where it was, you know, going to be financially viable? Because um, what you do about it is going to be different in either case. Um, and I think it can be, you know, especially now with it being kind of growing scene, I, I think it can be um, a justification that people can kind of use – to explain the fact that you know that they're spending as much time and energy on the gaming as they are even when probably in you know some part of their, their mind they know that it's not realistic for them.
0: Yeah right so you've seen people or, or you've heard of people who are almost pretending to themselves in the world that they're trying to go pro when in actual fact they're just a bit scared to quit.
1: Yeah yeah absolutely and I, I think you know if you're actually in a position where you could realistically go pro I mean I, I think it's That is tough because, you know, to go pro means just an insane amount of hours spent practicing, you you know, with the gaming houses and all that. It's just an insane kind of regimen. And that's great so long as you're still, you know, part part of the pro scene. But, you know, obviously a lot of those players, their careers are relatively short-lived. And, you know, I I imagine that must
0: be incredibly hard trying to work out what next
1: once you reach that point
0: uh, there was a lot of movies about ex-pro ball players when i was growing up i wonder if we're going to see in the next 20 years you know i was i was a pro once kid i got burned out by the age of 21 i got addicted to mother energy drinks i got rsi my life went down the drain <laughs> that's the one one of the questions i got from uh, a listener was about his brother who's um was wasting away in his words but still put games over his life life and health Yep. And so he wanted to know what the best way to kind of talk to his brother was when he was getting all this abuse back to him and all this sort of deceptive behavior. What's the best way to approach someone you love who you can see this happening to?
1: That's a really tough position to be in. Um, ultimately, I, mean, I think this is really important, you know, for, for loved ones to understand is is that the person isn't going to make changes until they, you know, are experiencing enough kind of pain from the, the, you know, the gaming or whatever it is uh, that outweighs whatever they're, they're still getting out of it. So, you know, I, I think it's easy to get into your head that if you can just get through to them in the right way, just explain in the right way, you know, what it's doing, that, that, that they'll get it. They, in a sense, they won't, they'll come to it in their own time. But what you can do, and I think this is a really important part, is just kind of keep making it clear to them that, you know, you're available, that, you know, once they're ready to, to make some changes you'll be behind them you'll support them because i think when you are in that position of addiction and you you know you've had family and friends and stuff telling you for ages and ages and ages you know this is ruining your life it, it can start to feel really shameful but you know if you acknowledge it and go to those same people and be like oh yeah okay you know it is it is an issue now it's going to feel really bad so trying to maintain that position of non-judgment just you know hey you know if you get to the point where you want to have a chat about your gaming, you want to have a chat about where your life's going, you want to you know look at some other options, i'm I'm here, I'm ready to do that. I think that's the best thing that relatives can do so that when that person kind of starts to have doubts for themselves, they know that there are people who are going to be on their side, who are going to listen, who
0: are going to be you know supportive without judging at that stage. <laughs> do you think then they should be working behind the scenes to try and help that person hit rock bottom quicker? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I
1: don't know how well that would work in practice. <laughs>
0: Just having a word with their landlord. Oh, you should probably kick them out in the street. You know.
1: Well, I mean, you know, it is one of those things. Where I, don't, I don't think it's so much helping them to reach rock bottom, but it's, it's really easy to get into the habit of doing things that actually make it easier for the person to kind of persist with the addictive process. Um, I mean, this is a really tough one for parents, especially. You know, they'll you know lots of parents who contact me, and you know, their often adult child is, is living at home. The Parents are still making meals for them because the kid doesn't leave the room. You know, paying for their power, internet, you know, giving them accommodation, all of this. Um, and it's like, well, as tough as it is, that's not really giving this person much incentive to change. You know, they're they're not really experiencing any consequences of what they're doing. Um, And there's a fine balance, I think, between um, allowing them to experience kind of the natural consequences of what they're doing, while still being, you know, non-judgmental and compassionate and supportive. And it's that fine balance that you know people need to aim for. It's not realistic; you you can't hit that all the time. But as a family member or friend, I think that's what we should be aiming for. Consequences, boundaries.
0: Yeah, yeah. Is there is there a stigma that you find uh, that people suffer when they're trying to get help for their gaming addiction?
1: Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, Kind of on both sides, on the one hand, um, you know, not so much now, but obviously, you know, gaming used to be, you know, very much stereotypically kind of nerdy, geeky thing. So, especially for older people, it's still got some of those kind of connotations. But the other part is, you know, because you see this in the media all the time, you see both sides, you know, g- gaming is a is a new addiction or whatever, but you see the other side of, of people kind of laughing it off and saying, you know, well, that, that's ridiculous. So I think a lot of people have an expectation um, that they're not going to be taken seriously if they, you know, try and find help around their gaming. And this is actually something I did my master's research on was, you know, what it was like for people who had tried to get help for their gaming. And, and a lot of them did experience that. They found that, you know, doctors professionals whatever didn't really take it that seriously so I I think there's definitely um, some stigma that prevents people wanting to kind of acknowledge it as a problem or seek help. Are you playing any games still? Yeah I I still play um, a bit from time to time I play a lot more um, kind of co-op stuff with my wife like like the couch co-op kind of thing don't
0: play very much uh, on my own so much these days. You play co-op games with your wife on the playstation or something? Uh, Just um, through Steam mostly. Oh that's the dream. (laughs) That's <laughs>
1: it's pretty dream. fun. You yeah, know, I like it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, that that's kind of all my questions. Did you have anything else you think my listeners should know about?
1: I don't think so. I probably hammered this point enough, but you know, I, I think I just to reiterate the, you know, if you're at all concerned about you know, whether your gaming's too much, or whether it's a good thing for you, is, is to really, you know, try and actually um, notice it for a while, pay attention to, you know, how how you're feeling about it, how it might be affecting your life, how it's sort of fitting in balance with the rest of, you know, the things that are important to you, and um, try and assess it that way rather than, you know, looking to, you know, is, is it how many hours you're playing or whatever, just really try and pay attention to that kind of the function and the impacts that it's having.
0: And there ended the interview. I hope you found it as enjoyable and informative as I did. Uh, I think the overall message was basically work it out yourself. Take some responsibility. Um, get aware, you know, have a think, have a reflect. No one's going to tell you how much you are and aren't playing. Um, really, your parents might tell you. Your spouse might tell you. Your teachers might tell you. But until you tell yourself, you're not really going to change, are you? Um so that's, I guess, that's a message we all need to hear. It's timely. It's always timely. Take responsibility for yourselves. Now let's move on to the. Oh, actually, just before I do, <clears throat> um, there actually t- a couple of tools that uh, came up in my, in a bit of my digging around, a bit of my hunting for truffles. Are uh, stopping gaming and, and and gaming addiction. One was a new tool that's come out called Wobot. It is a an um, AI-based chatbot, basically, that you can get on your phone. It's free, and it will interact with you in a very similar way to a therapist might, and it's based on cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a short-term, very effective therapy for helping you deal with anxiety and stress. So if you are one of the people I was talking about who may be having trouble just simply stopping gaming because it it is helping you deal with uh, immediate feelings of anxiety, check that out w-o-e-b-o-t i don't think it's a great name but it's based on some um pretty pretty good machine learning algorithms so uh the conversation is very good it's you know it's um it was made in collaboration with a lot of the therapists so have a google of that download it have a try there's nothing to be lost if you have a try there's no lock-ins there's no extra fees your data is not going anywhere Give it a burl. Uh, One of the other things is a subreddit called Stop Gaming. It's a little community that posts fairly regularly. They've got a lot of resources a lot of great links there that they've amassed. And uh, I would say if you're not quite sure how you feel about your own gaming, you maybe have a tiny little, tiny little, tiny little elfin voice at the back of your noggin that says, "Eh, maybe I should not be gaming this much. Have a look on that because a lot of people give their stories and it's sometimes other people's stories that make you go, you know what, shit, this is exactly how I feel. This is exactly what I'm going through. And the way you've put it, puts it better than I could. So check that out. That's r slash gaming. And let's move on to some of this news that's happened uh, prior to this episode. Since the last step, we've had CS Summit number two. That was a $150,000 tournament in LA, City of Angels, which was won by Liquid. Liquid beat NIP, they beat SK, and then Cloud9 in a best of five final. Absolutely mass if. One of the big reasons for this was the addition of NAF Fly from Renegades, which, as we lamented last step, left the boys bereft of their top performing player, but this was good to see Liquid found an effective replacement for JDM so quickly. So uh, props to them. I mean, they hadn't had a great run in 2017, the second half, and it seems that uh, Mr. Fly has put some wind in their sails. Now, to follow up on some of the roster news from last ep, Dennis the Pistol Meister has joined NIP. He has joined the Ninjas in Pyjamas. He replaced Exist. And he's also apparently replaced him in the IGL role. Now, this is lovely to see Den Meister in a team. Sad, of course, to see the further disintegration of the old ninjas. Also a little strange considering Dennis has previously tweeted after his time as an IGL in Fnatic, that was, let's face it, pretty much a disaster, uh, that it was too hard to IGL and he would never do it again. Again, so who knows what sort of bitter pill he's had to shelf as part of his contract to get back on a pro team. But uh, hopefully he's got a fresh, fresh mind about it. And, you know, I'm sure it's a different uh, kettle of fish when you're IG yelling with J-Dub and Flush versus uh, Get Right and Forrest. Anyway, we've had the first few days of Star Series in our league season four. We've also seen Rubino, one of the other roster changes. He's now on Heroic. He wasn't particularly performing that well. We've seen J.K.M., who was brought in to replace the vacation left by... Um, the vacation... The vacant spot left by Nafly. He's in Renegades now. He's actually been top frag and been killing it. Been killing it. Apparently, he's in a six-month contract, obviously hungry to extend that little piece of pape. Uh, Majiska seemingly revitalized Astralis, which is absolutely joyous to see. Had a good feeling that those guys would gel. Finally, we've seen Seized on Gambit, who's been he's been just doing okay, while his team basically gave him a bunch of backhanded compliments in the interviews. Now, in Adren's interview with Parler, aka the 90s villain, aka the man who single-handedly is keeping the black turtleneck industry alive, Adren's head seized had more experience than Fitch, who he replaced, but was a downgrade in firepower. Which is kind of like saying about a girl you're seeing that she's pretty ugly, but she's got a nice personality. And Dosha in his actually surprisingly loquacious interrogation um, with Professor Parler, the evil Professor Parler, called Seized, adequate. This is your teammate. Dosha called him adequate. He's been brought in to replace your player as you call him adequate. (laughs) It's kind of like saying about the girl you're dating well, that, that she's adequate. Anyway, Mihu hasn't done enough to bring VP out of their slump. They were knocked out pretty unceremoniously. The final series against Cloud9 was it was was it was worse than a train wreck. It was one of those um, videos where two trains hit each other and a blimp comes down in the middle and, and it's like a three way collision. Um, I haven't actually seen that, but that's what it felt like. These guys were knocked out in one of the worst tournament runs I've ever seen. Uh, and if you're a fan of VP, whatever you do, do not Google leaked VP TeamSpeak. Because on the 12th of Feb, a team speak surfaced with English subs of a very, very toxic situation from VP prior to Taz's disappearance, mind you, but specifically with tension between Snacks and Taz. Don't do it. Do not Google leaked VP team speak. It hurts my heart. It's, uh, it's not good. Finally, Fnatic have been knocked out first. They were knocked out first of Star Series, which was the very first time apparently they've come last in a tournament this big. Which uh, spawned one of my favorite Twitter exchanges now of all time, shortly after their second loss. Uh, Flusher, senior Vac himself, tweeted out, Where were you when Fnatic was killed? And in response, JW tweeted, I was sit at stage next to you, Fatty. <laughs> I don't know why I love the fact that JW called Flusher Fatty so so much. But I don't know, thinking about it, it feels like it's increasing my lifespan. <laughs> um, all right. That's uh that's basically about it. Um if you have any feedback for this app, you can let me know at the TruthCSGO podcast at gmail.com. You can uh tweet me at the TruthCSGO. You know what? T- chuck a brother a favor, boys, if you're on Twitter, give us a follow and girls and uh non-identifying um citizens of, of the universe because uh, I don't have many followers there and it's a bit diz, you know, I log in and uh, I've created this chatbot which is um, Rush B Podcast pointed out has more followers than me which is a bit sad I've created a bot that has no brain and just spits out meaningless um, Counter-Strike iterations and it's already more popular than me on social media so uh, help my self-esteem out here give us a follow hope you enjoyed the app and uh, enjoy the game enjoy it in moderation